How many know freedom's not free? Freedom came with an ultimate price for so many that gave everything they had. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, Greater love have no man than to lay down his life for a friend. You know, ultimately that stands for our Savior, but I see the men and women that have given their life, made the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I can sit in a church without the worry of uh, someone coming in and say we can't have service, that I can preach directly from the Word of God without conflict. I thank God that He gives us these opportunities, but they weren't cheap. They came with a price. So I want to take a moment on Memorial Day weekend to just turn our hearts toward God first, but with thanksgiving, thank God for men and women that were brave, that paid the ultimate price. So could you bow your hearts in a moment of prayer? Father, we do thank you for the freedom that we have. Father, we believe and we know that it didn't come free. I thank you, Lord God, that uh, men and women gave it all so that we could stand here today, that we could proclaim your word, not only just in churches, but we could have the freedoms that we celebrate in our country. I pray, Lord God, that you would be with those families that even today are reminded of those tragedies as they go through this Memorial Day. I pray, Lord God, that you would bring your peace, bring your comfort. But I thank you, Lord God, for all those that paid the ultimate price. And we give you thanks for that. We give you praise. In Jesus' name I pray today. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. Well, this morning we're in our second week of our sermon series called Asking for a Friend. Sometimes we uh, ask questions and we want to pretend somebody wants, else wants to know the answer. We don't want people to know it's us that are asking the question. But the question we're going to be focusing on today is actually one that we probably all ask, doesn't God just want us to be happy? Doesn't God just want us to be happy? Let me say this as a pastor. As a pastor, I get, uh, uh, I hear a lot of stories. And a lot of times the details might be a little different, but the story sounds the same, or at least it sounds familiar over and over again. Uh, not too long ago, I had a woman tell me that she had been married for 24 years. 24 years, and during that 24 years, her husband did nothing that work, but work all the time. Never invested any time in his family. Um, she went on to say how lonely she was. How lonely she was, and uh, previous to her marriage, uh, she had had a guy that she wanted to marry that she was dating, and he wasn't ready for marriage at the time. But after she said how lonely she was, she followed it up with, you know, I've just reconnected with this guy, and we're spending some time together, and I feel like God has brought him into my life. I didn't say a word. I just let her talk. And I think out of guilt, she says, I suppose you're going to tell me that this relationship is wrong, but don't I deserve to be happy? Isn't that what God would want? Doesn't he want me to be happy? You've probably heard stories like that too. Or the single person who says, I've been in church my whole life and a lot of my single Christian friends are out there doing everything under the sun and most of it's not according to the will or the uh, word of God. They tell me it's okay as long as I'm not hurting anyone else and that God loves us so much that He just wants us to be happy. Here's the thing. Every one of us in this room has a story just like that. Every single person in this room, every person here has made a decision um, based on that premise that God just wants me to be happy. 
Let me stop and say that's the biggest misconception in Christianity today. Do you realize that? It's the biggest misconception in Christianity in our culture today that above else, God just wants me to be happy. The truth is, God never says that in His Word. Do you realize that? God never says it in His Word that He wants or His goal for us is to have all these warm, fuzzy feelings that we call happiness. In fact, all through the Scriptures, I see many, many times where He interrupts or upsets the happiness of certain people. Take the words of Jesus. He proves this by saying, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. That doesn't sound very like a happy moment. Amen? I came to bring peace, but not a sword. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that if God was all about us just being happy, He wouldn't even have bothered, bothered us with the gospel. Because if you know anything about the gospel, it guarantees your persecution. Amen? It guarantees conflict in our families, conflict in our lives, ridicule from our culture, but yet our culture embraces that fact that thinks as long as we're happy, we must be in God's will. Second Timothy, Paul says this in chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. For the time will come, and I'll say it's already here, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myth. I don't know about you, but I want to know the truth. I don't want to just believe in something that sounds good. Remember this scripture that says the truth will what? Set you free. The truth will set you free. So that's my goal today, is to bring truth to each one of you. Not my truth, but God's truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul tells us, in order that Satan might not outwit us. He goes on and says, for we are not unaware of his schemes. How many have found out that Satan will come at you with all sorts of schemes, with all sorts of lies, and if we're not careful and we hear that lie enough, all of a sudden we start to live out that lie, and all of a sudden we start to believe that lie to be our own truth. And the more you live by this lie we're talking about today that you deserve to be happy, guess what? The more unhappy you're going to be. I mean, it plays out in Scripture all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Listen to what uh, Eve thought. Eve thought eating the forbidden fruit would make her happy, right? Uh, Cain thought getting rid of Abel would make him happy. David thought sleeping with another man's wife, Bathsheba, would make him happy. Joseph's brothers thought selling him into slavery would make them happy. Samson thought Delilah would make him happy. Jonah thought Nineveh would make him unhappy, so he ran the opposite way away from God, and you know the rest of that story. Solomon married over and over just to make himself happy, so in the end, he had over a thousand wives and mother-in-laws, and I'm saying that's just not the definition of happiness, amen? <laughs> Judas thought 30 pieces of silver would make him happy, but how does it play out in, our, out in our world? It might be like this. Joe thought looking at pornography would make him happy. Mary thought going deeper in debt to buy that new dining room set would make her happy. Bill thought embezzling that money would make him happy. Crystal thought having that affair would make her happy. Alan thought getting drunk would make him happy or at least keep him from being so unhappy. The list goes on and on and on, but what I'm trying to say is the enemy will come at us with schemes and lies trying to convince us that you deserve to be happy. The truth is even non-Christian studies tell you that if you want to make your life unhappy, the best way to do it is go out there and chase everything that you think will make you happy. Then you will be so unhappy 
If you know anything about God, He's a loving Father, and I believe with all of my heart He wants us to have joy. I believe He wants us to have happiness in our lives, just like every human parent wants their child to be full of joy and happiness. But here's the kicker. God wants us to be happy by His definition, not by our definition. And our definition is a whole lot different than His definition of happiness. But when we draw far from God and when we don't keep God in the center of our life just like He wants to be and desires to be, Guess what? We start looking for happiness in other places. We start looking for happiness in all the wrong places. I'll give you a few of them today, and I think the number one place we look for happiness is in pleasure a lot of times. Pursuing pleasure. With pursuing pleasure, we try to fill that unhappiness in our hearts, our restless spirits, with better possessions, newer, faster, bigger, shinier, whatever. It could be the perfect vacation that just blew up your credit card. It could be the house you bought that you can't afford. It could be the car that you bought that was big, had the bigger payment than your house payment. It could be the clothes, the gadgets. And we have this tendency because it's our natural tendency to think if I have all these things, I'm certainly going to be happy. And let me just say this. There's nothing wrong with having things. But when they become a form of idolatry in your life, and you might say when things begin to have you, you've got some problems. We sometimes look at idol worship as something that we only read about in the Old Testament. But you know what idolatry really is? It's even in the New Testament. It's in the life that we live today. Idolatry is when you worship, the, worship at the altar of materialism, which feeds our need to want more and more and more. The more we get, the more we want. It feeds that need because we feel like having newer, bigger, better, and more is going to make us happy. Guess what? It might for a while. We found that out. But you're going to want more. You're not going to be satisfied with just what you have. Remember Solomon, supposed to be the wisest man ever. In Ecclesiastes, set out for this big experiment where he was going to pursue happiness. And the one way he was going to pursue happiness was to try all sorts of pleasures out there. And there were a lot for Solomon that had all that money. And in the end, he said it was like chasing after the wind. Chasing after the wind. What's that tell us? It was something that he couldn't get a hold of and hold on to just like you can't hold the wind. Some of us are the same way. We're pursuing things out there that are making us happy for the moment, but then guess what? They're gone just as fast. We don't need to pursue a what when we're in those situations. We need to pursue a who. And that who is Jesus Christ today. And if we'll truly pursue Jesus Christ, He'll bring genuine happiness into your life. He'll bring true and lasting happiness into your life. But there's this thing in the church world that says you've got to choose one or the other. Happiness or holiness. You ever heard that? Happiness or holiness, we can't have both. But what that does is it pits two things against each other that ought to be put together because we can actually have both. I know some Christians that act holier than thou that say, you know what I'm going to do? i got a choice. I'm going to be holy. I don't need to be happy. Inside, they're wanting to be happy, right? Well, the Word of God says that we can have both. If we pursue happiness, you can have both. Happiness God's way, you can have both. That leads us to lasting happiness. David bridges the gap between these two in Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. He says, happy are those who don't listen to the wicked. Happy are those who don't go where sinners go. Happy are those who don't do what evil people do. Happy are those that love the Lord's teachings and they think about these teachings day and night. They are strong like a tree planted by the river. The tree produces fruit in season. Notice it doesn't say the fruit's always going to be immediately right there, but it's going to come in due season. And, it leaves, and its leaves don't, lie, uh, don't die. That means it's everlasting. 
Everything they do will succeed. So does God want you to be happy? Yes, for sure. But the thing is, God defines happiness different than our culture defines happiness, different than we define happy, happiness. God says, happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be what? Filled. Happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Happy are those who pursue holiness. I believe with all of my heart God gives wealth. He gave it to Solomon. He has given many of us wealth. We live in a wealthy nation. God gives wealth. He gives material possessions. And he doesn't mind you having things, but again, I'll say he just doesn't want things to have you. And the big problem comes in when we think those things will bring us happiness. If you believe that, guess what happens? If you believe that the things of this world will bring you happiness, you're believing a lie. You're believing a counterfeit, not the real thing. I remember years ago when I just got out of high school, I worked for Ed Hayes Construction. Um, I remember we built a house for a couple, and, and we put in Anderson windows, top-of-the-line window. But about a year after we uh, built the house, they had moved into the house. The homeowner calls my boss and said, I've got some problems with these windows. I've got broken glass. I've got broken seals. I've got broken cranks. And my boss immediately got on the phone to the Anderson rep and said, hey, come take a look at these windows. I was there with my boss that day. I still remember what he said. It was kind of crazy. He looked at all these windows and he said, well, it's no wonder these are falling apart and breaking down and have all these problems. They're Anderson windows. I thought, holy cow, wait a minute. You're knocking your own company. He said, no, he didn't say, I didn't say Anderson. He said, I said Anderson. These are Anderson, S-O-N, instead of Anderson like our windows. These are a cheap imitation. And guess what? Within a year's time, that company was already out of business. It was a cheap imitation and wasn't the real thing. What I'm saying is to think that the things of this world are going to satisfy you, you're settling for a cheap, cheap imitation of the real thing. You're settling for something that isn't even real. The second area we look for happiness, if you're taking notes, is in happiness based on circumstances instead of your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's kind of like when you're happy when your happenings are right. And when your happenings around you aren't right, then you're not so happy. You let your happiness depend on your circumstances. Look at what Scripture says in Ecclesiastes 7.14. It says, when times are good, be happy. Again, this is Solomon saying this. He said, when times are good, be happy. Go for it. Live it for all it's worth. But then he goes on and says, but when times are bad, consider God has made the one as well as the other. What I'm trying to say is God doesn't want you happy if it's only based on your circumstances and your happenings. There's something deeper. There's something richer that the Bible actually describes as joy. And joy, the joy I'm talking about, doesn't come uh, from something on the outside or affected by the outside. It comes from something on the inside of you today. It's a bit uh, like the story in Luke chapter 15. All of us have heard the prodigal son story, right? You might want to listen up again, even if it's a thousandth time you've heard it, because you might find yourself in this story. This younger son had everything under the sun, everything you could imagine, just like a lot of people I know in our world today, but he wasn't satisfied. He said, Father, I don't like your ways. I don't like your rules. Give me what's due me. Give me everything and I want to go out and do what I want to do. How many times does that sound like us today? God, give me what I need. I just want to go out and do what I want to do. Well, the son went out, and you know what happened. He partied it up. He blew all of his money. He tried all of these things. He tried everything under the sun he could think of to make him happy. But in his pursuit of happiness, he only got more miserable. The more he tried to find happiness, the more miserable he became until he restored his relationship with the Father. 
So what I'm trying to say is our happiness isn't based on our happenings. Our happiness isn't based on our circumstances. Our happiness should be based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? should be based on that relationship with our Father. Think about this. In his pursuit of happiness, the prodigal son just became more miserable. And what do we see in the world around us today? People are looking over here thinking, well, I'll, that'll make me happy. No, oh, that'll make me, oh, surely that'll make me happy. And on and on they go. And in pursuit of happiness in the richest planet, a richest country on earth, most people I know are some of the most miserable, some of the most discontented people that I've ever met. The truth is, there are a lot of rich, wealthy people out there that have everything that ever want or ever need. You think they're happy? They're not happy. Because at the root of their unhappiness is this longing for God. And let me ask you to guess who put that longing in their heart for God. God put that longing in their heart for Him so that He could pull them to Him. The truth is, God does not want any one of us to be happy based on our circumstances. There's a deeper gift that He gives us and wants to give us. The Apostle Paul showed this in his life in some real dire circumstances. I want to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Many of you memorized this one. But before I read this uh, attitude of Paul, uh, let me just say this, remind you that he wrote this from prison. He wrote this behind bars. He wrote this while he was chained to a Roman soldier. He wrote this while he was waiting to find out if he's going to live or die, be executed or able to live. But listen to his words. So I'd say that's not a good day for Paul. Amen? Listen to his words. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. In other words, he's saying, I've been on both sides of this thing. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through who? Through Christ, who gives me strength. Paul is just saying, hey, I've had it all, I've lost it all, I've been healthy, I've been hurting. He said, I've been blessed and I've been cursed, but he says, I have a secret deep on the inside of me that most people have missed. I have a joy. I have a divine contentedness in my life that's not based on what's happening around me, my circumstances. It's based on something internal that no one else can see. And it, that is that I can do everything. I can do anything. I can get through this. I can make it through whether they're going to put me in prison and keep me in prison or whether they're going to kill me, I can make it through. He says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He's saying there's something on the inside of me, living on the inside of me, and that something is Jesus Christ. So it's not about what's going on on the outside. It's not about his happenings, his circumstances. It's what's going on the inside of him that matters. After saying all that, God doesn't want you just to be happy. I'll say he wants you to be happy on his terms, but he doesn't want you just to be happy. He wants you to have a joy that no matter what's going on on the outside, you can still be happy. You can still be happy. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. If taking notes, the next thing we think is, well, we're going to be happy if we win the comparison battle. So number three is comparison. Can you believe how much comparing goes on in our world today? We live in a comparison culture. Social media doesn't help a thing. It creates a comparison trap where every day you only see the best versions of everybody out there. They're only putting, and I get that, you want yourself to look as good as possible, but so many people get on their social media first thing in the morning, last thing at night. They look at all these uh, best versions of everyone else. And then what do we do? We try to desperately uh, describe how 
successful, how glamorous, how wonderful our lives are. And in the end, what are we doing? We're lying to ourselves. And it begins to break you down. ESPN did a story several years ago about, uh, called Split Image. It was an, about an athlete named Madison Holleran. Madison Holleran. The subtitle of this article said, On Instagram, Madison Holleran's life looked ideal. She was a star athlete, a bright student, beloved friend. But the photos hid the reality of someone struggling just to go on. The article told of the story of Madison's suicide. That day she woke up. She went to class. She took a test. She even went to the bookstore to buy her parents some gifts. Told friends she would meet up with them later, but then later that night she jumped off the ninth floor of a parking garage. She left behind a suicide note. She also described how she couldn't keep up the image of appearing to be happy to all those people that she thought were genuinely happy. So in the inside, she was falling apart. On the inside, she was really hurting and desperately needing help. Looking back, her own mother said she once saw a picture of Madison laughing and having fun. And she said, oh, Madison, you look so happy. And the mother didn't even think a thing about it when Madison's reply was, oh, mom, it's just a picture. Oh, mom, it's just a picture. You know, when it comes to social media, everyone presents an edited version of their life. An edited version of their life on social media. People put out there like they're living the most wonderful life possible, the ideal life, the ideal self. And I feel sorry for people that are on Instagram, especially young women, who are just seeing all these filtered images out there every day and they're living with the reality of their unfiltered image. Think how hard that must be for some of those people. It's creating a comparison trap, and in the big picture, it's a lie. It's not the truth at all. But we think if we want to be happy, all I need to do is start comparing myself to somebody else. Uh, start living the life that they're living. I'd say they're just giving us an exaggerated version, exaggerating appearance of the real them. You might even go as far as saying they're giving a false appearance of the real them. That might be why Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1.10, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings not, or, God, or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Do you realize it's only God that knows what's going on on the inside of us? Do you realize it's only God that knows what will truly satisfy our soul? And it's only when you're going to seek Him first that your heart's going to be satisfied, going to be fulfilled. I believe every one of us ought to stand in the truth that all human beings have been given God-given value. Because guess what? We're made in the image of God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are God's workmanship and He has equipped us for every good work. That tells me we need to stop comparing ourselves to other people. Because Jesus is the ultimate standard. Amen? Not people. We need to watch what Jesus does, read what Jesus does, do what Jesus does. So why does God allow unhappy times? Because He does. I'll give you a couple reasons. Number one, sometimes God is glorified by removing the pain, and sometimes He's glorified by sustaining us through the pain. We have to stop and embrace both perspectives. You can't have one without the other or put one over the other. Sometimes God strengthens us by allowing us to see people that are healed, the blind, uh, they're given sight, dead even raised, but sometimes God sustains us through His daily provision, through His daily provision of getting us through the storms. 
getting us through the flood, getting us through the trials and the tests. So I'll say this through it all, God wants what's best for us. He really does. The only problem is what's best for us a lot of times doesn't make us all that happy, right? Doesn't always make us happy. I think God purpose, I know God purposely allows hardships to come into our lives as a way to pull us back to God. Sometimes what's best for us is for a trial or a test to enter our lives so that we can become more like Him. Trials don't make you happy, right? But God uses them to pull our hearts closer to Himself. It's not something that I understand or you understand, but God uses it for a greater purpose. But there's one main problem with thinking that God only wants me to be happy. When those trials come and God's Word tells us they will, what does that do to your faith in God? It shakes it up a little bit. Sometimes we get angry at God. Sometimes we get confused. And you've heard of the prosperity gospel out there that says if you're following God, everything's going to be bliss, everything's going to be good, everything's going to be perfect. You know some of those people that are eating and drinking that, that uh, gospel are going to end up rejecting God and their faith because God allows some things to happen in your lives that don't necessarily make you happy, but they don't know how to deal with it. But most of you in this room, I'll say you're a whole lot like me. You've been through, through so many trials that you've begun to re realize and recognize, I never want to go through those again. Amen? Have you been there? I don't want to go through what I've gone through before, but I can truly honestly say that I am who I am because of what God allowed me to go through. He turned me, He changed me into His image by the struggles that He has allowed to happen in my life to pull my heart closer to Him. Because when He did that, I started work, having a more intimate relationship. I started walking closer with Him, uh, being more faithful to Him. And I experienced the goodness of God on a uh, day that I wouldn't have if it had been a good day and everything was perfect. I witnessed the goodness of God on some of my worst days or actually in God's picture, some of my best days. I found His goodness and He used that to bless me on the worst days of my life. The second reason God allows unhappy times is to help us realize that we are not home. We are not home. Unhappiness on earth actually cultivates a hunger for more heaven. Cultivates a hunger and desire for heaven. And by giving us a deep dissatisfaction in our life, God holds our attention. And the real tragedy is when you start to be satisfied with the world. When you start to be satisfied with the things of this world. And to be content in this strange land. The Bible says we're living as strangers in a strange land. The truth is we're not happy here because we're not supposed to be happy here. We're not happy here because we're not at home here. 1 Peter says, we are like foreigners and strangers in this world. Max Lucado wrote about this. He says, uh, he says, take a fish and place him on the beach. Watch his gills gasp and scales dry. Is he happy? No. How do you make him happy? Do you cover him with a mountain of cash? Do you get him a beach chair and sunglasses? Do you bring him a playfish magazine and a martini? Do you wardrobe him in a double-breasted fin and double skin and people-skinned shoes? Of course not. Then how do you make him happy? You put him back in his element. You put him back in the water. He'll never be happy on the beach simply because he was not made for the beach. What's my point? I think you already know it. If you had everything that this world has to offer, will you be happy? No. Because you weren't created for this world. You weren't created for this earth. You were created for heaven. And you were created for eternity. Do you realize the Bible says that the time that we have here on this earth is but a vapor? A blink of an eye, it's here, and then it's gone. But when you believe above all else that God only wants you to be happy, all of a sudden, 
we have this thinking that God is here to serve us. That's not the truth at all. God is not here to serve us. We're here to serve God. You realize you and I were created to bring glory to the God of this universe? So no new car, no new house, no new job, no new person in your life is going to fill that emptiness in your life. Because in every person there is a void, a Christ-shaped void that only Christ can fill. The only problem, we as human beings go out there and try to fill it with everything else but Christ. But I'm sure you found out by now, doesn't make us stop trying, but I'm sure you found out by now that those things won't bring lasting satisfaction, won't bring lasting happiness. And the main reason is because God never intended for them to bring you happiness. I'm so glad for the blessings God gives us in our lives. But we need Him first. We need Him first above everything else. So today, I'm not going to promise you a better or perfect life, but I will promise you with all of my heart a better and perfect God that loves you, that died for you, that gave His life for you, that came to strengthen you, to forgive you. And today, He's here for every one of us in this room. Every one of us. And I believe there are some in this room that you've been resisting God. God just wants you to surrender over to Him today. And today's the day to let Him lead you into this everlasting joy and real true happiness that I'm talking about. You're never going to find it on your own. Could you stand to your feet this morning? Could you bow your hearts in prayer? Father, I pray that we wouldn't pursue happiness. But I pray, Lord God, that we would pursue You with all of our heart. And by pursuing you, Lord God, I pray that we would find more joy, genuine joy, and that we would enjoy your blessings, but not just for us, Father, but to help bless those in the world around us. Father, I pray right now for those that are doing what I've done for so many years in my life, where I've justified doing the wrong thing because it made me feel good or it made me feel happy because it was a temporary whatever. God, I pray that you would convict us of any and every area of compromise in our lives right now. I pray for those that might be contemplating divorce right now because they're unhappy. God, I pray at this moment that you would give them hope, that you would bring healing and forgiveness into that marriage. God, for those that think there's no way to get through this, I pray, Lord God, they would look at you as the God that can make a way. I pray for restoration. God, I pray for our happiness to never be based on the temporary things of this world or the happenings that come and go day after day. But Father, I pray that we would never settle for a counterfeit, that we would turn to You as the real thing for joy in our lives. God, I pray that You would supernaturally give us the ability not to be lured into loving this world, but to love You enough to love You more than the world. Father, help us to pursue You with all of our hearts. And I pray this church would be full of blessed people, not just a blessed church, not just being happy, but being blessed with your perfect presence in our lives. Father, I pray that you would help us to leave this place and go out and shine the light of your truth and your love into the world around us. I thank you for leading us to a greater joy in your presence and for leading us to true and lasting joy and happiness. Not our way, but your way. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your grace that follows us every step of the way. Father, help us to realize that and invite you in today in a real way. We give you praise, we give you glory, we give you thanks. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said amen. Amen, amen and have a great Memorial Day weekend. God bless you all.